You're listening to Just Ask Ing, a conversation about our sexuality and how we might manage it more intelligently. Hi, this is Stephen Ng. I'm hanging out with my friend Jackie, and we're talking about sex, sexuality, and all things sexual, including politics, religion, music, and everything else that you could possibly think of. Today, what did you want to talk about, Jackie? You know, I've been thinking a lot about consent. Um, there's just so much confusion out there now with the Me Too movement and everybody. And, and I hear people all the time say things like, well, that's it. I'm just never going to hug a woman again. Yeah, I hear that, that kind of stuff, too. In fact, I heard another friend of mine saying, and, and by the way, he was a lawyer. He says, well, what am I supposed to do? And I'm thinking, gee, if a lawyer <laughs> doesn't, doesn't know what they're <laughs> supposed to do, how is anybody? Right. And his, and he went on to you know sarcastically say, well, what am I, am I supposed to? ask if it's okay to touch this shoulder before I touch the next shoulder and then and go on to body part by body part. And he was just really making it into a much more complicated issue than it ever would have to be. But part of the reason it's so complicated is that truth is simple, but truth and the simplicity that comes with it isn't so easy to apprehend. Because at first we're confused. We're in the dark. We don't know what we're doing. And that's true of engineering. It's true of anything in science. It's true of religion. It's true of sexuality as well. So if we really look at consent and what consent would practically mean, I don't think it's that confusing. It doesn't seem like it should. I mean, other parts of our life are not that confusing. Well, like I when mean, it comes to getting money from you, I mean, I you know what consent looks like. Right. And you it, give your permission or you don't. And even if you get conned, you could say, well, yeah, I was deceived and this is why and this is how that happened. But when it comes to sex, all of a sudden uh, we, we drop back to a moral position. We try to figure out who to blame as if that's somehow going to illuminate the conversation. Well, it's women's fault, you know, because or those men, those those filthy, disgusting men. They're all pigs and they they have no control. Right. And I I think if we can kind of like, you know, look back a little bit at the life of any individual among us, we were all born wonderfully sweet, adorable, cute little baby boys and girls. And we all spent a childhood getting educated in our society, going to school and perhaps even Sunday school. And, and learning at the knee of our grandparents and our parents. But we, you know, we still don't know what consent is. And that what that has to mean is that none of these other institutions and, and people know what consent really is either when it comes to sexuality. And I think that that's a correct assumption. I think that's a correct conclusion based on that experience. So when... So you're going way back. You're well, going, you're going way back to little kids. I mean, you you. That's... I'm going to say that we were once all little kids, and at what point was I supposed to learn how to ask for consent, and at what point was I supposed to learn how to give or withhold consent? And I don't remember that day in school. I don't remember that part of the homework. I don't remember that lesson in Sunday school. I don't remember my parents and I ever talking about it. I do remember the sex talk. Whoa, that was really uncomfortable at about the, the one 16. Sex talk. Yeah, the one sex talk. I think it consisted of Steve, just be careful and make sure you use protection. Keep it in your pants. I never got that. You're a terrible mother for even <laughs> saying that. But I think I want to, for me, consent really goes does go back to sort of a legal standard in the sense that none of us have the right to lay our hands on each other without permission. So it's the difference between a touch 
that's wanted and a touch that's unwanted. And if I touch you in an unwanted way, let's say violently, or I grab your wrist, for example, uh, even if you're drunk and you're about to get in your car and drive off, grabbing your wrist and pulling the keys out of your hands the way the old commercials used to say, whatever it takes, don't let your friends drive drunk. No, it'd be better for me to let you get in the car and go slam that that thing into a wall, except because otherwise I can get arrested for assault for taking the keys out of your car. So let's go back to a, a nicer situation. So. <laughs> a little close to home. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, you know, when it comes to a sexual touch, and by the way, sexual touches aren't coital touches necessarily. A sexual touch can be something as simple as taking the hand of my date as we stroll down the boulevard. When would I learn how to do that? When would I know that it's okay? And most guys that I know, since I believe in in general, it's still true that men initiate most of this kind of contact and are considered responsible for doing so. Uh, I think that men never learned how to simply ask, would it be okay if I hold held your hand? Would it be okay if I put my arm around you? Uh, do you mind if I do this or that or the other thing? And what I like about the do model, I mean, of, of using words instead of using the Braille approach or groping my way toward consent, mm-hmm. is that it gives a woman an opportunity to step up to the plate and make a choice and take responsibility by making that choice how far, as to how far she would like the physical touching to go. I, and what's really great about that for men is that they can relax and know that their touch is wanted or they can know exactly where the boundaries are that even hand-holding is not okay, for example. I was thinking, I was thinking about that. The, the great thing for women, you know, because we're, and, and we're generalizing here, obviously, but... We're, no, this applies to every single <laughs> every man. Every woman in every situation. <laughs> um, we're pleasers, right? And, and we don't want to hurt people. And so, so if we're on a date and a man puts his arm around us in a, in a movie, for example... Whether or not we want it there, we're probably not going to tell him we don't want it there because we don't want to hurt his feelings. Or if he just grabs my hand, I'm probably going to let him hold it because I don't want to hurt him. Well, it gets sweatier and sweatier and sweatier. <laughs> but, but at the time, all the time that he's holding it, he thinks that I've consented because I'm not taking it away. Well, yeah. Right? Yeah, he does. I mean, and that is that is a nonverbal sign of some sort of complicity. But if he asked, if he said, may I hold your hand, I can say I'd rather not right now. I made up a word I meant to say complicity. Yeah, yeah. But wouldn't it be great? I mean, men too have their problems with that kind of codependence, right? We don't want to offend. We don't want anybody to be mad at us, We don't, especially on a date. We're not trying to make the experience miserable. We're just groping our way, and I use that term deliberately to just focus on the tactile stuff. We're groping our way toward trying to be closer physically without really doing the necessary legwork to see if that's desired, if consent has been given, and if the feelings are mutual. Because it's very possible that although she said, yes, I'd love to go to the movies with you, um, once she actually sees me in the full light of day, (laughs) she might be shocked, horrified (laughs) that she ever consented to such a date. And and the idea that I might want to hold her hand could be horrifying, horrifying. Some one of her friends could possibly see that. So I think it makes sense really to be asking. And then in a relationship that endures over some time to be 
to, to ask, is it okay when I reach out and hold your hand? Are you, are you okay with that? And that's sort of a general permission thing. So you don't have to do the lawyer thing where I have to sign a waiver every time. Right, or do a little movie of yourselves giving consent, holding up a newspaper. Show the date. <laughs> On this date, we both consent to do the following activities. You know, I, I, think, I think it can be done very naturally, very comfortably. And unfortunately, it's not very natural or very comfortable for the vast, overwhelming majority of people simply because they haven't thought about it for a moment or two. They haven't, they really don't have any role models. If you think, can you think of a single movie where you've seen any of this behavior? I haven't. I can't recall one, especially a romantic movie. Um, I, I don't know of any, even friends of mine who started off that way with asking for consent. I think that I have been asked if it's okay to, to kiss. Is it okay if I kiss you? And I know that sounds all technical and legal, but it's incredibly romantic. I mean, I've, I found it to be incredibly romantic. It's like, I'd like to kiss you now. Is that okay? Obviously, those, yeah, it's totally okay. So, <laughs> Or it could have been very creepy if it, it wasn't. It could have been awkward and weird. But um, I agree with you, though. I think that it's even more romantic when we use words to announce intentions and then we get a green light of consent from whether it's the man or the woman initiating and, and and I think obviously the same is true in same-sex relationships because then you know you're wanted, you know you're desired. And even if you say, you know, I'm not comfortable with that right now, maybe later, or I'm not comfortable with that right now, thank you, and with a sort of, some sort of air of finality to it, it's still rather wonderful to be asked and to have somebody be desiring you. And I think that when the feelings are reciprocated and we both want to touch in that same way, I think it's better than, uh, what did they call that? The uh, stolen kiss, <laughs> you know, where the um, boy leans in and, and kisses her without her consent. A little bit like that uh, scene on the Academy Awards a few years back where the guy who won the Academy Award kissed... Um, I'm not remembering. Oh this. gosh, it was such a such a celebrated oh, moment. But, he, but he, what, it wasn't just a kiss for the piano. I think it was called the piano or something like that, or the pianist. Oh no, it was a deep. He went in a dip, and it was this big deal, and you know that's that's fine. Uh, I guess because I'm I'm an older person who's seen that in in movies before, but it really does make more sense to me that people would ask. I know that I personally would not want, at this point in my life, even if I were single, which I'm not, I wouldn't want anyone just leaning over to kiss me. Well, and I think that it's got to be nice for the man, too, is, you know, all the guessing. I have a son and who's very shy, and I'm, I'm so thankful, <laughs> honestly. He's 20. He met his girlfriend in high school, and they seem like they're good, And because I, I can't even imagine him trying to navigate college and, and college girls. and But as a man that you don't have to guess, that you can just put out your hand, or you can ask. Or you can non-verbally put your or, hand or out. put your hand out. And, and then, she either takes it or she doesn't. And, and then you know. Right. And, and then it, you know. You know, and it feels great to know, and it feels secure, and now we can focus on the other things instead of the anxiety around, is it okay if I kiss her, or is it okay if I hold her hand? Right. So this leads me to the other thing that I've been hearing a lot with the Me Too movement, which is, 
Whoa, um, you snuck that in really quickly. The Me Too movement. Hashtag Me Too. Hashtag Me Too. And we'll talk All more right. about that later. But but I'm just thinking about, you know, since this has been talked about, and I and it's the same thing. Fine. I'm not even going to touch a woman at work anymore. I'm not going to hug her. I'm not going to tell her she's pretty. Yeah. and And that is the real problem. I think the workplace, really what it does is it accentuates or caricatures what's been going on in private relationships outside of the workplace. So there's the awkward date, but at least the, they can ditch each other if they need to at the end of the date and never go out again. But at work, uh, you, most of us have to go back the next morning and put in another eight hours and face the same people. So it becomes really awkward. And again, isn't, isn't it all about consent? So all of the things I just said. Well, I think it is because human beings... I mean, there are workplaces that try to make things as asexual as possible. Uh, I don't think we need to talk about the Vatican too much. But um, there are, in most every single workplace on earth, well, including the Vatican, human beings walk in the building with their sexuality intact. And they're still going to be sexual beings, even at the board meeting, even at the sales presentation, even at the execution of the mission, um, they're still sexual beings. So teaching one another how to manage our sexuality intelligently is going to be mission critical in those environments because we're still going to be sexual beings. It's just that now we have even less idea what the boundaries are than we do when we're out socially. Because at least when we're out socially, there are enough romantic movies that we have some sort of a template of, you know, gentlemanly behavior and ladylike behavior. But when it comes to the workplace, uh, there are really, again, I can't think of a single fictional depiction of appropriate sexual behavior in the workplace. And the obvious answer to this is no sexuality in the workplace. Right, right. right. Just, uh, just leave it in your car. Don't Don't bring it in. But when you're talking about sexuality, I mean, when you're talking about a hug, right? It's, right? it's not like I hug. I love to touch. I'm a hugger. It doesn't mean it's not sexual for me. It's not that I want because I hug you. I want to have sex with you. Well, and I, I can see that. But there are other touches. And I'm thinking of, uh, for example, a shoulder rub. That gets That can get kind of creepy kind of fast with... Uh, people and the same thing with a foot massage or anything like that. Just taking someone's hand and holding it briefly. A lingering, like or holding on to a hand too long. Like yeah, that. yeah, all of that. And so there are those touches that, again, are, are just really sexual without being coital. Uh, we don't have to wait till we're having intercourse f for us to be sexual in our behaviors and in our uh, touches with others because we certainly, you know, when a 10-year-old boy has a crush on a girl at school and he holds her hand, isn't that sexual? Sure. It's part of sexuality, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to say that out loud because we, we don't like to think, you know, I saw you nodding your head over there noncommittally, but, you know, it's, we don't like to say it out loud because we associate uh, youth and especially childhood and especially uh, prepubescent childhood with innocence and the idea that there could be any kind of sexuality there is a little disconcerting to those of us who don't accept that all human beings are sexual and, and that to some degree we're all expressing our sexuality. And with the workplace, 
the rules are so obtuse, really totally opaque, I would say. Even And you know what's even worse? I mean, we... <laughs> For centuries, uh, we have seen the results of sexual repression, and we've made jokes at the expense of the Puritans. And we all know that you can make all the rules in the world about sexuality, but sexuality pretty much uh, whistles its way right past all those rules and does what it wants to do. Well, in the workplace, that same thing is occurring, and we make rules, we publish handbooks, we... We have all these uh, tools of repression, including discipline, uh, getting written up, getting fired. Um, but repression isn't really a great model for trying to manage what is really an irresistible natural force. It's like trying to stop the rain from touching the ground or something. So what, what is a better way to manage this specific to the workplace? Well, you know, in the workplace, there are all kinds of people, right? And just because I am working with you doesn't mean I'm necessarily mentally healthy. Uh, it certainly doesn't mean I'm relationally healthy. So you bring all those people together and you tell them the rules, but they all have different degrees of impairment or ability to follow those rules and live within those rules. So I think the real trick honestly, is regular and frequent training. And that flies in the face of what's the norm right now, because the norm right now is something like, well, annually, our employees watch a video and then they sign off to say they've seen this video on sexual harassment. And by watch the video, you mean it was on on their computer for the allotted time. <laughs> right. So you're implying they might not have been watching it at all. They could have been, they could have walked away. Asking for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> And instead, you know, if we're talking about changing human behavior to a level that we can all agree is acceptable and so that we're all informed as to what acceptable would look like, I think really the, the format that we've used in counseling for years, some kind of group, group therapy format, only it doesn't have to be group therapy because we're not there to get therapy. It's more of a psychoeducational process. And you could have 30 or 40 people in a room, but you really want to have everybody get a shot at role-playing and figuring out how to do what it is they would like to do without violating any of the rules or the laws that protect us from sexual harassment. So having Joe come forward and talk to Mary and, and tell Mary that he's interested in her and he'd really like to get to know her better outside of work, that's a thing. And, and to have Mary take her turn at doing that and to have each one of them say something that would uh, give us an idea of consent and something that would give us an idea of withholding consent so that everybody knows not only what's required, but how to do it, how to say it. Because you can tell your kids, um, watch out for strangers or don't take drugs or any of these other admonitions we parents are famous for doing, but we don't really teach kids, but how do I handle that when my girlfriend wants me to take a drag on her joint? So, and I think I might get laid as a result, Mom. How am I supposed to handle it? And he can't even ask his mom that question. Right, because his mom's going to freak out. Right, right. Or or we're at a party and everybody's drinking beer and my girlfriend goes to grab me somewhere that I've never been grabbed before. Um, how do how am I supposed to handle that? So let's go back to the workplace then. So we talk a lot about sexual harassment or sexual abuse, as you call it, which implies unwanted 
unwanted sexual attention. So if you do like somebody in the workplace, you are interested in them in a romantic way. You're asking for a friend. Asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> how would you how would you go about that without making it all weird and awkward? Yeah, I mean, I think the example I gave earlier um, would would be appropriate, and and I'll repeat it in just a second. But I want to touch on another point you just said. Yeah, I do call sexual harassment sexual abuse because calling it sexual harassment really diminishes the overall significance of the behavior. It's just abuse. It's just abuse that we have called by a different name because it occurred in the workplace. But if that behavior were to occur occur anywhere else, we would call it sexual abuse. And so if if I'm interested, Wait, let's, let's let's stay on that for a second. So so okay. how would you define sexual abuse or sexual harassment? What's your definition for that? Well, for for me, sex any kind of abuse is using someone in a manner in which they're not meant to be used. And by that, we all mean we need to treat one another with respect. So whether I'm verbally abusing you, physically abusing you, sexually abusing you, or someday I hope we talk about spiritual abuse, um, because that overlaps with sexual abuse quite a lot. I think that treating people with respect is really what we're after. So the target is really not a list of thou shalt nots. It's a simple list of one item, treating one another with respect. That is the opposite of what we mean by sexual abuse. And sexual abuse is simply any violation of respect. So, well, it's any violation of respect in a sexual way. Yes. As opposed to a boss who just tells you you're stupid all the time. Right, um, right. You're talking about... Or, but even that, couldn't that also be sexual abuse because it's directed only at female employees? If it's directed only at female employees. Right. So I guess that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. So if you just have an abusive boss who's mean to everyone, right. that's not sexual abuse. But if he treats the women different than the men... Yeah, it's you know it's difficult to make a general rule without looking at a specific example because I could see a boss who's used to using put-downs and name-calling to diminish his employees and to make himself feel better. And some of his insults and name-calling uh, is gender-specific or sexual in nature and diminishes uh, an individual employee's masculinity or feminine uh, feminine attributes. So for me, it's it's really... it's. That's why I like to keep things simple, because the more rules we put on these things, the 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 more exceptions there seem to be for the rules. So if it's not respect, it's abuse. I think that's a good enough rule. It, it is. Well, okay. I'm going to ask for one more rule, um, <laughs> because I don't like limits on my questions. Um, you had actually said at one point, um, somebody had asked you how, how you would um, differentiate between sexual harassment slash abuse or just talking. And one of the, the examples you had used is if, if, as a man, if you wouldn't do this to another man. Like we, I think that the conversation was about if somebody puts their hand on your knee right. at work. If a man puts your, his hand on your knee at work, is that sexual harassment? I did say that, but I said that so long ago, I feel very suspicious of why you're quoting me so so far into the future. And, and I thought it was a good definition. It is a good definition. It still is. I'm still nervous, though. So because I because you're a woman and I might you might set me up for something. I don't know if I, I can trust you. Set you up <laughs> so, you know, the idea for me would be if I like a man in the workplace and I'd like to get to know him better, 
I can go up to him and say, John, I really admired the way you handled that situation. Let me take you out for lunch. Or I'd really like to get to know you better. Let me buy you a beer after work. Or any of those kinds of uh, overtures. And none of that is abusive. None of that, it's, it's just being a normal human being. I can say the same things uh, with a more romantic agenda to a woman when I say, Susan, I'd really like to get to know you better in a personal way. Can I start uh, inviting you out? Would that be acceptable to you? Simply asking permission to ask someone out is never abusive. It's never, well, it's never going to be something that is sexually inappropriate. But if Susan says no. Then we're done. Then you're done. Then we are done. It's and no... I mean done like, yes, you, you don't need to ask a second or a third or a fourth time. And in fact, if Susan changes her mind down the road because she comes to her senses and sees she's how... she got to know him and see how charming he is. <laughs> and, and really, she got new glasses, so she knows how <laughs> really handsome he is. So <laughs> she says, you know, sometime back you asked me uh, if I'd be open to getting to know you better. I've recently changed my mind and I'm hoping the invitation is still open. And, you know, he has the opportunity to give consent or to withhold consent. I'm sorry, Susan, I've actually been married these last five years. <laughs> And I had uh, a weak moment when I asked you out. <laughs> it's uh, you, well, you took five years to get back to me. Oh, so, <laughs> I see. Okay. so whatever it is, we we can imagine situations where things change, and people who were once open to getting to know the other person think better of it and decide not to. And by the way, just because Susan uh, might acquiesce to his taking her out for coffee or a drink after work, that doesn't mean now. Okay, coast is clear. He can ask her out whenever he wants and as often as he wants because she said once that it was okay. Therefore, no, that's not any more. Again, let's go back to two men. My friend invited me out or my my workmate invited me out for uh, coffee after work. We went out and although I appreciated his interest, he was actually way too boring for a brilliant intellect like myself, right? and hyper-religious and not really sensitive to the kind of spirituality I approve of. So I, in my own snooty way, I um, say, no, John, actually, and when he asks me out the next time, I get to say, no, John, I'm actually uh, aware I'm not the right kind of guy for you. I think you need to keep looking for friends elsewhere. Now, that takes some guts, I think, for all of us to say, but I think it's something that we can learn to do comfortably in our own words, in our own language, not just mimicking me necessarily, but finding your own way to say that. Um, no, actually, I'm just I don't think I'm I don't think I'm down for that. I'll take a pass. That's so, another way to say the same thing. OK, so I want to ask you one more question and then I want to talk about the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement. Okay. So so back to my earlier question, which you never answered. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm assuming it is not okay for me to just assume because I'm a hugger, everybody else is a hugger. You know, that's. I'm really glad you said that because I've been hugged by men and women in my lifetime, um, both of whom I would rather have taken a pass and not been hugged. And yet, like you said, it's really hard to not be a people pleaser for some of us. And I think I've suffered through a lot of hugs that I didn't need to suffer. But I do recall one time in particular where a man came up to hug me and he was... Uh, I'm a guy of average or, or, or medium build, and he was like a 2X kind of a guy. 
And he came up like a grizzly bear with his arms around it out in the air to give me a hug. And I had to actually say, he said, come on in here for a hug. And I actually had to stiff arm him twice. I had to, you know, just like in the old football movies, I had to actually give him a hand in the chest with uh, no, with some real strong resistance saying, no, I'm not comfortable with that. And it was really hard for him to be turned down, even by another man. So it's the same thing where as a hugger, I need to be sensitive to, I mean, do I say, hey, is it okay if I hug you? Well, I think that's one way to ask. Another way is to just hold out your arms parallel to the floor, and you're obviously inviting a hug. And I can go ahead and wave that off and say, nah. I'm or, not. or put out your hand to shake it. <laughs> I can put out my hand, which is which awkward moment there. Or, or just bow politely and <laughs> shut my eyes <laughs> while you recover. And, you know, whatever it is, uh, and I've seen people say, yeah, I'm sick with the flu. I'm really, you, you don't want to hug me. I, and I've seen people, I, I don't shake hands. Yeah, I don't. for the same reason. So, um, okay, the Me Too movement, which has been amazing. I, I, you know, we've, we've heard about different sexual harassment or, or consent issues for millennia, right? But this one seems to have kept hold. About time, right? I, I feel like it is, which brings us to Time's Up. Well, it, it really, for me, I've been watching this my whole life. My mom was a single mom who had to put up with a lot of sexual harassment in her life. She was a waitress for years. And really, back in those days, it was, it was obvious even to me as a child that she had to put up with unwanted male attention, or at least thought she did, in order to make her way through this world. And after all of the scandals that we've seen, both in politics and in religion and in in just society in general, for everybody to just be coming forward and saying, yeah, this happened to me too, and this is when it happened, and this is who did it. And what we've all seen, I mean, I, I, I don't like the feeling of the French Revolutionary guillotine chopping off heads of all these people who... You know, because they were once royals and and now that now they're persona non grata. But what about, you know, what about the years of abuse that uh, mostly we're talking about men doing mostly to women? I know there are exceptions to both of those, but what about the years of that kind of abuse that other people have had to put up with? I think that that's that's got to count for something. And I, I just honestly, as a guy who really likes sex, I love romance. I want everybody to know what I'm experiencing in my life and to have that same kind of loving, wonderful, happy sex life and connection that's meaningful with another person. And this sort of behavior, it just poisons it for all of us in some ways. It makes sex into something that is just so not just yucky, but but really contaminates it to the point where it's really toxic and, and, and so hard on us. When it actually is the source of, I think, some of our greatest creativity and, and of our species, of course, even existing. So sex, I mean, when, when we talk about the kind of sex you're talking about, romantic, consensual, equal sex, 
Yeah, that's pleasurable, where there's a real point of contact, a meaningful connection with the other person. So what we're talking about here with Harvey Weinstein and and (laughs) Ilk um, is it's almost using sex as a weapon or as as a means to control it seems like, or, or just taking. It's just it's just people taking what they want without regard to the other person. Yeah, and I had to laugh there for a minute because otherwise I was going to throw up that, that taste of vomit in gross, my mouth. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's so disappointing and it so ruins it for those of us who really want that that really meaningful connection that's truly pleasurable. And, that, and for the next guy who approaches that individual woman... He has he too has to pay a price in terms of trying to work through her own conflicted emotions, the way she feels about um, men in general, and why and why shouldn't she have these issues? It makes perfect sense that she would have issues around that. So yeah, and even you know not to forget Harvey Weinstein's humanity for a moment too. It's really easy for us to criticize him and to look down the nose at him and uh, often his his um, convalescent treatment program that he's going through, such as it is. But he, too, is a human being who once longed for a meaningful connection and settled for something that was about power and control and domination and that was absolutely absent of any real consent. He settled for really what I would call rather disappointing sex. Because as, as somebody who likes sex and... I'm looking at you, Jackie, and I've, I've heard stories. People have said you like it too. So, yeah, okay. So, if you like sex, you really don't want the bad stuff. You want the good stuff. And the really good stuff is truly pleasurable and full of titillation, but at the same time, is full of that meaningful connection. And that's Harvey Weinstein settled for the one without the other. And I don't want to see any human being do that ever. I, I understand that um, absolutely. So what's come out of Me Too, which I agree it's about time, is is uh, Time's Up, which yeah. has, has been the thing that has started in Hollywood with um, primarily women, but powerful women in Hollywood have started the Time's Up movement. And I was reading an article about them. Can I read you what it says? Sure. Um, the group's focus is getting legislation passed and policies changed. Organizers want to see the passage of laws for gender parity issues such as equal pay and equal work environments, as well as increased opportunities, particularly for women in low-wage industries and women of color. To fund this goal, they created the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund, which is a source of legal and financial support for women and men who want to fight sexual misconduct through the justice system. Yeah. And isn't it too bad we have to start a private charity in order to write that very historic injustice in our society. It's like uh, holding a bake sale so we can buy a new F-18 fighter or something for the military. It just seems like we should be doing more. But at long last, okay, we're doing something. And even if it's not enough, even if it's not perfect, at least we're doing something. And the gift in all of this, really, as, as a man who enjoys Uh, the fierce femininity that we saw in that movie, Black Panther. Women who are fierce this way about protecting themselves and the people around them are actually far more attractive than those who are merely compliant when faced with abusive, controlling men. And I will say that the men who are not abusive and controlling and actually ask 
are also much more attractive. And you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have come full circle. So thank you so much for listening. Um, let us know your thoughts. You can you can tweet Stephen at Stephen Ng MFT, and then uh, we can put your questions on the air. Thank you so much for, for coming in, Stephen. Another uh, amazing brain-growing conversation. Thank you. Oh, you, you bet, Jackie. This is a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Just Asking. If you have questions for Stephen, please tweet us at Stephen Ng MFT.